You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. From ABC News, World News This Week. I'm Chuck Sievertson in New York. Coming up, the Russian war on Ukraine reaches its first anniversary, just days after President Biden makes a historic visit to Kiev. There will not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support. Questions about the potentially dangerous effects of that fiery train derailment in Ohio. Our face has been burning, and it's really bad. Headaches, massive, almost passing out. An unexpected witness in the trial of Alex Murdoch. Alex Murdoch. Were you, in fact, at the kennels at 8.44 p.m. on the night Maggie and Paul were murdered? I was. The people and events that made headlines with World News This Week continues. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Darion. We call him Day uh, Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This week, marking one year since Russian forces invaded Ukraine's borders, Russian President Vladimir Putin set on annexing the much smaller country. But the plan didn't unfold as he'd hoped. Ukrainians took up arms, civilians joining alongside Ukraine's military and fighting to save their country. The United States and its NATO allies sending resources, weaponry, ammunition and training to Ukraine. Though Russia managed to seize some Ukrainian cities, their soldiers driven out by Ukraine's determined forces. As Ukraine's military strengthened, though, Russia responded by relentless shelling from the air and by often brutal means on the ground, committing war crimes like torture, rape and murder of civilians, sometimes with convicted prisoners choosing to fight on the front lines instead of remaining incarcerated. ABC News chief foreign correspondent Ian Pannell tells us though Ukraine is braced for a possible uptick in aggression around the one-year mark, 
President Zelensky and his people remain resolute. Ukraine marks one year since Russia launched its devastating invasion, a war that's left tens of thousands of people dead, destroyed towns and cities, and driven millions from their homes, sparking the biggest refugee crisis in Europe since the end of the Second World War. President Zelensky honoring the fallen and the heroes of the war, calling February the 24th, 2022, the longest day of our lives, the hardest day of our modern history, and addressing his nation once more. Saying, we're strong, we're ready for anything, we will defeat everyone because we are Ukraine. The White House announcing a further $2 billion military aid package for Ukraine. And now China calling for a ceasefire and offering a 12-point proposal to end the conflict. The United States has warned China against providing lethal assistance to Russia. The White House accusing Beijing of already providing some aid to Vladimir Putin. By making this public, we're able to uh, help deter uh, the PRC from going forward with a decision like this. Putin's war has exacted a terrible toll in death and destruction, but also the trauma most Ukrainians have had to suffer, especially the youngest. Ten-year-old Lisa has already experienced the worst of the war, losing her mom to shrapnel from a Russian bomb. What has the war been like? Because many children your age have never seen a war. What, what is it like? I know everything about war, she says. Missiles, bombs. War's bad for everyone. We should live in peace. Ukraine is covered with graves from the last year. Soldiers and civilians, young and old. One year into a war of Putin's choosing, with no end in sight, the suffering looks set to continue. The embattled country of Ukraine receiving an undeniable endorsement of solidarity when President Joe Biden made a top-secret trip to Kyiv, where he met with Zelensky and Ukraine's First Lady, visited memorials for Ukrainians killed in the war, and walked the streets of Kyiv, the first target seized by Russian forces, and one of the most visible signs of defeat when Ukraine retook its capital city. ABC News senior White House correspondent Mary Bruce. Biden saying he wanted to make this trip to show and not just tell the world that America's support for Ukraine is unwavering. I thought it was critical that there not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support. Then something that not long ago would have been unthinkable. Biden and Zelensky walking together through the free streets of Kyiv, the same streets Vladimir Putin was closing in on just a year ago. The host of ABC's This Week, George Stephanopoulos, sitting down with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kaleba on the anniversary of the war to check in on the state of his country's fighting forces and the Ukrainian people. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Minister, and what a year this has been for you. How has Ukraine been able to prevail against this overwhelming Russian force? Well, because we dropped fear. We decided that if we attacked, this is, was not our choice. But if you are attacked, you have to fight. You have to take up the fight and defend your country. And this is the feeling that drives us through all of these endless sufferings. And your president said you're going to fight till victory. But what does victory mean at this point? It's very simple. It's restoring Ukraine's territorial integrity. I don't think there is any nation in the world that would agree to give away even a square meter of uh, its territory. And Ukrainians will not do that either. What will it take to push Russia completely out of Ukraine? I don't want you to get me wrong, but Whatever it takes, this is the answer. This is not this 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 war has no timeline. It has only result in the end, and that's victory because we stand for the right cause. We defend ourselves. We are liberating our territory with generous support of many countries of the world, with United States being at the top of it. And by the way, first of all, I want to thank to convey the words of gratitude from the people of Ukraine to the people of America for standing by us 
in this very just struggle for freedom and peace. It is a just struggle, but it is also a difficult struggle right now. We've learned that Russia is basically in control of Bakhmut. What more do you need to prevail? Ammunition, tanks, long-range missiles, planes. These are the most wanted weapons on the list. I have no doubts that uh, we will prevail. Pre President Biden, uh, many other leaders of the world have no doubts that Ukraine will win. But, you know, for David to be able to defeat Goliath, David needs a sling. And all of these weapons, it's all about this sling that will help us to win. And the president, your president, just said that Ukraine has received Leopard tanks from Poland, but we're also seeing new reports that China may be considering providing arms to Russia. What would that mean? Uh, that would mean that China takes uh, a completely wrong uh, side and undermines its own uh, foreign policy because it's foreign policy based on the idea of territorial integrity, and that's exactly what Ukraine is, is uh, fighting for. Uh, we are following closely developments. We do not have facts in our hands as of now, but uh, we are in dialogue with China to make sure that they remain committed to their own principles. They've come out with a ceasefire proposal. Do you think it's a serious proposal? Definitely. They try to make a difference but uh, from their side, but the United Nations General Assembly voted a resolution based on the peace formula proposed by President Zelensky, 141 nation which is a vast majority of nations from all over the world, Africa, Latin America, Asia, uh, North, uh, North America and Europe, they all supported a certain vision for the peace. And every other peace proposal has to be based on what Na United Nations supported. So now we're examining how much the Chinese proposal is aligned with that. Vladimir Putin doesn't seem to care about what 140 other nations think, what the United Nations think. He seems prepared to fight to the finish here as well. Is there any kind of a peace proposal that can be acceptable to both President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people and Vladimir Putin? As of now, uh, we are irreconcilable because while we defend our territory, he wants to grab our territory. While we want accountability for numerous atrocities committed by the Russian army in Ukraine, Putin wants to escape responsibility. Uh, we are, again, this is, this is a war where one side is black and another side is white. There is no better example. This aggression of Russia will go down in, text, in textbooks as the most apparent case of aggression if in modern history. So the truth is on our side, and this is why we feel so empowered to fight uh, and to win. Mr. Minister, thank you for joining us. The possibility of China sending lethal aid to Russia, drawing condemnation from nations around the globe. ABC's George Stephanopoulos again, sitting down with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Mr. Secretary, thanks for coming in. Let's begin with this China issue. Are you convinced now that they are going to send arms to Russia? And how worried are you that that could turn the tide of the war? Well, we're very concerned that they're, that they're thinking about it. Um, up until now, uh, Chinese companies have provided non-lethal support. From day one, President Biden uh, warned President Xi not to provide material lethal assistance uh, to Russia for, uh, for use against Ukraine or to engage in the systematic evasion of sanctions. And the information we have suggests that they're now actively thinking about that, which is why we've been public about uh, uh, warning them not to. Are you going to release more specifics? We've shared a lot of information with uh, other countries, with allies and partners. We always have to get the balance right between making sure that we're protecting the way we get our information and releasing it. But we thought it was really important to uh, make clear that China's looking at this. And what they're hearing, not just from us, but from many other countries around the world, is don't do it. But don't what would it mean the if the arms went through? Well, it could make a material difference in Russia's uh, capacity on the ground at a time when we want to bring this war to an end. 
not add fuel to the fire and have it continue. China has also put out a ceasefire proposal. Is it real? So look, no one wants peace more than the Ukrainians. And any proposal that can advance peace is something that's worth looking at. We're taking a look at it. But you know, there are 12 points in the Chinese plan. If they were serious about the first one, sovereignty, then uh, this war could end tomorrow. Uh, of course, Vladimir Putin's flagrant disregard for Ukraine's sovereignty is what's at the heart of this. The war could end tomorrow if he simply pulled his troops out. But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And there are points in the Chinese plan, as we've looked at it, that are consistent with things the Ukrainians have long said, that China itself has put out there. But look, China's been trying to have it both ways. It's, on the one hand, trying to present itself publicly as neutral and seeking peace, while at the same time, it is talking up Russia's false narrative about the war. It is, um, as I said, providing non-lethal assistance through its companies and now contemplating lethal assistance. But how long can Ukraine hold on? Their economy is being devastated. Vladimir Putin appears to be saying, I'm going to fight to the finish here. I think the Ukrainians are the ones who are going to fight to the finish. There's one big difference. Ukrainians are fighting for their country, for their land, for their future. The Russians are not. And at the end of the day, assuming the support continues from so many countries around the world, material support, military, economic, humanitarian, uh, Ukraine will succeed. One year from now, will this war still be fought? Look, it's hard to put a date on it. Uh, as I said, no one wants a peace more than the Ukrainians, but it has to be a just and durable peace. Just in terms of reflecting the basic principles that are at the heart of the UN Charter, which is the territorial integrity of countries, their sovereignty. And durable in the sense that wherever it lands, we don't want it to land in a place where Russia can simply repeat the exercise a year or two or five years later. So that's what everyone is tracking toward. When that happens, Hard to predict. Unrest and anger in East Palestine, Ohio, the site of the fiery train derailment earlier this month, followed by what officials at the time said would be a safe, controlled burn of the toxic chemicals on board. Many people, like 11-year-old Zach, say they have headaches, nausea, and other physical symptoms. Ever since that incident happened, our face has been burning, and it's really bad. Headaches, massive, almost passing out. ABC's Alex Prechet has more. The NTSB was blunt as it delivered its initial findings into that train derailment and toxic spill in East Palestine, Ohio. This was 100% preventable. We know for a fact that this derailment occurred at car number 23. Federal investigators scrutinizing security video. Sparks and flames shoot from under one of the rail cars, nearly 20 miles outside the small town. In its report, the NTSB saying that video showed what appeared to be a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure, moments before the derailment. According to federal investigators, the train passed through three sensors, showing the temperature near that wheel skyrocketing from 38 degrees to 253 degrees, all within a 30-mile span. It wasn't until 253, it was 253 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature that they got a notification that they needed to immediately stop. The NTSB saying that 253 degree temperature set off critical alarms and notified the crew to halt the train based on Norfolk Southern's guidelines at the time. The crew then immediately moving to stop the train, but the train derailing. This new report now leading to questions about how that train could have been slowed down much sooner. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg on the ground here. One of the stops on Secretary Buttigieg's trip was to assess the cleanup that's going on here. Ohio's governor's office said that some seven dump trucks 
of contaminated soil were excavated. After fierce criticism from some Republicans who slammed him for not visiting sooner, Buttigieg addressing the backlash. You know, what I tried to do was balance two things, my desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public facing work. I'll do some thinking about uh, whether I got that balance right. Norfolk Southern releasing a statement on the NTSB's preliminary report saying that it's inspecting all of its nearly 1,000 wayside heat detectors out of an abundance of caution, adding that we and the rail industry need to learn as much as we can from this event. In South Carolina this week, an unexpected witness in the trial of Alex Murdoch as the disgraced South Carolina attorney himself took the stand. Eva Pilgrim is in South Carolina. The defendant, Richard Alexander Murdoch, wishes to take the stand. Before a hushed courtroom accused double murderer Alec Murdoch taking the stand in his own defense. The disgraced attorney immediately denying he shot his wife Maggie and son Paul to death. Mr. Murdoch, did you take this gun or any gun like it and blow your son's brains out on June 7th or any day or any time? No, I did not. Did you take a 300 blackout such as this? and fired into your wife Maggie's leg, torso, or any part of her body? No, I did not. But Murdoch admitting lying to police about when he last saw his wife and son, admitting it was his voice on that video from the crime scene shot minutes before the murders. Hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. Mr. Murdoch, is that you? On the kennel video at 8.44 p.m. on June 7th, the night Maddie, Maggie and Paul were murdered. It is. Were you in fact at the kennels at 8.44 p.m. on the night Maggie and Paul were murdered? I was. Did you lie to them t by telling them that you were not down at the kennels on that night? Yes. Murdoch blaming those lies on his paranoia fueled by an opioid addiction and his distrust of state investigators. I wasn't thinking clearly. I don't think I was capable of reason. And I lied about being down there. And I'm so sorry that I did. Apologizing to his family, repeatedly referring to his wife and son by their nicknames. Most of all, I'm sorry to Mags and Paul Paul. I would never intentionally do anything to hurt either one of them. But he said he kept lying. Once I lied, I continued to lie. Yes, sir. Why? You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave. After Paul shot that video at 844, Murdoch claims he went up to the house, dozed on the couch, then left to visit his mom. All during a roughly 20-minute window prosecutors believe he used to kill his wife and son, clean up, and leave the property. He claims he found the bodies when he got home, breaking down as he recalled that moment. I was on the phone with 911. I was trying to tend to Paul Paul. I was trying to tend to Maggie. His surviving son Buster putting his head in his hands, his brother wiping away tears. And all those financial crimes, another admission from Murdoch. I can say I did wrong. I stole money that wasn't mine, and I shouldn't have done it and prosecutors asking Murdoch why, in all the interviews with police, he never used those terms of endearment for his wife and son. And this jury, of course, has heard 
multiple recorded statements of you during the course of this. Did you ever refer to Paul as Paul Paul during that? I don't know. Murdoch's every word now under the microscope. His decision to take the stand, a high-risk move. In criminal cases, it's unusual for defendants to take the witness stand. Defense attorneys worry their clients may say something incriminating. Managing partner of the Cochran firm, Shauna Lloyd, tells us this might not have been helpful in Murdoch's case. I don't think he did himself any favors this far. I think that this testimony is going to be seen by the jury as not helpful. The idea that he's already said that he was aware he was making these financial crimes, he did them. Although he said he did not murder his wife and his son, we can see that there's a lot of this that seems contrived and it seems as though he's directly playing to the jury to play on their sympathies. ABC News Chief Legal Analyst Dan Abrams tells us having Murdoch testify might have seemed to his lawyers like the lesser of two problems. The problem is some of the substance that he's got to deal with, in particular that kennel video, right? He's now being placed at the scene of the murders within minutes of the time that they're killed, something he had previously denied. He had to address that in some way, shape, or form. He didn't have to testify himself, but the defense had to somehow explain how is his voice there. And the way they decided to do it was to call him to the witness stand for him to say, okay, yes, I was there. The only reason I lied about it was because, you know, I was addicted to opioids. The family of former President Jimmy Carter, the oldest living former president ever, announcing the 98-year-old Georgia native was beginning home hospice. Here's White House correspondent Mary Alice Parks. The Carter Center in Atlanta saying that after a series of short hospital stays, Carter decided to receive hospice care instead of additional medical intervention. He has the full support of his family and his medical team. The center adding that his family is grateful for the concern shown by so many of his admirers. Former President Carter is not known to be suffering from any serious specific condition. Until COVID, Jimmy Carter spoke almost weekly at the Maranatha Baptist Church and has friends there who tell us the former president is just an ordinary guy, but a great one. My number one prayer is for Miss Rosalind. She's going to be totally, totally lost without that man. She loves him with all of her heart. Look at all the years that they've had. Remaining strong in the face of adversity when World News This Week continues. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Unfazed by naysayers and the racist backlash after news broke that 22 year old Halle Bailey would be the star of the Little Mermaid remake. ABC's Stephanie Ramos tells us Halle says the love she's received drowns out any negativity. Halle Bailey getting real about racism, talking about the backlash she's faced as Disney's new Little Mermaid. The 22-year-old actress telling British magazine The Face, as a black person, you just expect it, and it's not really a shock anymore. Bailey saying she wasn't surprised about the negative reaction on social media to her casting in 2019. And again, when the trailer dropped in September, telling the magazine, I know people are like, it's not about race, but now that I'm her, people don't understand that when you're black, there's this whole other community. It's so important for us to see ourselves. Part of that world. Last year, after the trailer for The Little Mermaid premiered, a viral phenomenon unfolded. Scores of children seeing a beautiful mermaid that looked just like them represented on screen. Her stepping into that role kind of shines a light for little black girls who look like her and like me and like my daughters who deserve to see themselves on the screen. These roles are for everybody and these stories are for everybody. And we all can occupy this space and make these things beautiful for all of us. Bailey telling the magazine she knows better than to take social media to heart. And she learned from the best, Beyonce, who signed her and her sister Chloe to a deal with her entertainment company when she was just a teen. B was always like, I never read my comments. Don't ever read the comments. And those are the people and events that made World News This Week. World News This Week was written and produced by DJ Moran. I'm Chuck Sievertson, ABC News, New York. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.